and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about some tips for higher yields in soybeans. But even if you don't raise soybeans, a lot of these things are going to apply to every crop. We're going to get started with that right away in the show today. If you'd like to call in, we've got our phone lines open all throughout the show. It is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today. We certainly hope you had a great Christmas and are looking forward to 2020. Got the new year coming up in a week. You know... Soybean yields are one of the things that I, I, I think in a lot of cases, if we as farmers just simply pay more attention to our beans, um, I think we can do a lot better. What we have always said with farmers in the Midwest, their heart is in corn. With farmers in the South, their heart is often in cotton. If you are a specialty crops, your heart may be in that. And very often, soybeans are that crop you just throw or, out there as the rotation Or livestock, Brent. And it's, as you mentioned Good all point. these things here. <laughs> and I just think, Wes, there's even more that are on top of this. And uh, and in some cases, it might even be the off-farm job getting more priority than the soybeans. Yep. And what, what we find, and, and we're going to have some great soybean growers on today with us as well. Uh, and I, I know from the Ag PhD field day, too, talking to some of the highest yielding soybean farmers uh, across the, the continent, they say it's just putting the same amount of focus in as as we do on corn and other crops in a lot of cases. I I don't know too many guys that say, well, I'm only going to raise beans. That's that's all I'm going to raise is beans. There are a few, but most of it is well, I'm raising multiple crops, and I'm going to really put the effort in on all of them to try to learn the crop and and go because soybeans are quite a bit different when you think about indeterminate beans in the. Well, most of North America, when we talk about group fours and earlier, well, they're flowering for a long period of time. If they start flowering sometime mid-June and they flower through August, you've got a lot of time there that you've got to have things right if you want to keep all those flowers, keep all the possible pods, and, and get maximum yield. Also, I want you to think about your fertility program, and this is where I wanted to start today. Actually, I'll take that back. Where I want to start is drainage. (laughs) If you don't have great drainage, your soybeans are going to stink because, or I should say your soybean yields are going to stink. Your actual soybeans might stink too. But anyway, the reason why is because soybeans on average have about one-fifth the root mass of corn. One-fifth the root mass of corn. So in other words, if you get waterlogged soils, You've got five times as many chances for a soy or for a corn root to live as a soybean root to live because they're five times as many roots roughly. So think about that for a second. It is tremendously important to have fantastic drainage in a lot of the Midwest where we from time to time suffer from waterlogged soils, high water tables, and this just kills your soybean yields. I can tell you in our farm this is one of the biggest things, probably is the biggest thing to getting higher yields. After that, it's fertility. And when you think about your fertility program, the odds are pretty high that you're putting out enough nitrogen and enough phosphorus in a two-year cycle if you're in a corn-soybean rotation. And I I, I mention this corn-soybean thing because in a lot of the Midwest, that's what many, many farmers are doing. You're doing okay on nitrogen. You're doing okay or at least close on phosphorus. You are most likely not putting enough potassium out there. 
Now, I don't know why you're not putting enough potassium out there. Maybe you're getting a poor recommendation. Maybe you went to college when I did and they said, oh, there's all kinds of potassium in the soil. Well, that's true, but it's, it's in the form of a rock. So it's not gonna it's not gonna be available for your crops. So forget about that. But where I'm going with this is you can just run your own numbers and look at the national in the United States anyway the national yield average and then for soybeans and corn in a two year cycle and then look at how many total pounds of potassium are applied each year. And it's not even close. It's not even close. That's why Darren and I, when we look at soil tests, we see so many potassium levels that are just terrible. And I go, well, here's your problem. You're way low on potassium. So I don't know why that is. But all I'm saying is get the levels up. And if you own the ground, here's how I want you to think about it. If you have heavy ground, now if you have light soil, it's a different deal. But if you have heavy ground, like we do, we've got 20 CEC on average, maybe even a little heavier than that. But the point is, if you own the ground, your potassium in the Midwest is not going anywhere until it gets used if you have heavy soil. It's not going to leach out. There's no chance of that. We don't get enough rain. We're too cold. And our soil is too heavy. So you're not going to lose it. My point is just invest some dollars right up front and now all you need to do is a maintenance level from then on. Get your base saturation K up between 4 and 8%. Personally, I'd like mine up around 7% and then just do maintenance after that. It's a long-term investment for your farm and it's not going anywhere. And if this doesn't work out for you, here's the worst case scenario. The next few years, just don't put any potassium on. You can suck it right back down to whatever it's at now, 2 or 3% base saturation K. All right, but the point is you need potassium and your soybeans really, really desperately need potassium. Look at the nutrient removal charts and you may be shocked to see how much potassium your plant needs. And by the way, if you've had any lodging problems, any green snap issues in your corn, that's most likely potassium too. Get more potassium out there and you'll be a lot happier. I just think about how small that root system is on a soybean plant and how different that is from corn. Right. That's what I was saying. And, and that's the reason we, why also you've got to have high levels of potassium in that soil. Right. And I also think about the drainage component of this too. We get questions so often. Right. About, that's why I mentioned drainage right off the bat. Drainage is one and then fertility is number two and potassium is the big part of that. So, so my strategy is, you kind of went through your, your order. My strategy is drainage. Uh, then I look at banding fertility with strip till or uh, two by two on each side of the row, something to get that fertility into that small root system that a soybean has. And then I also look at if I get that all right and I manage to hold just a huge number of pods on the plant, then I look at foliar feeding and not in the opposite order. So often we get questions, what do you think about foliar feeding soybeans? And we start asking those first setup questions and, and folks aren't doing that. So I, I do think foliar feeding is a good help. No doubt about it. We've got to set those big pieces in place though first, uh, as we mentioned here already. We're going to talk about tips for higher yielding soybeans on today's program. Stay tuned. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton studio. Love to take your phone call. Our lines will be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll also get to the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show if we have time. Uh, first, on today's show, we are talking about soybean yields, by the way, and how to get higher soybean yields. But uh, first, let's talk a little about grain marketing. We've got Scott Harms with us. He is with Grain PhD and Archer Financial Services. Scott, how you doing today? Very good, Brian. Good afternoon. All right, so we just went through Christmas here. What what usually happens in terms of Christmas and, I, I mean, any effect on the markets with this holiday season in general, just Christmas, New Year's? I, I mean, what's what is what does history tell us a little bit about this time of year, the year and grain marketing? Uh, it just turns very quiet. Uh, I think that is probably the safest uh, conclusion to draw. Uh, there's just not a lot of news. Some of the market players... Uh, especially in this day and age with fund activity being big drivers. Uh, they'll leave the marketplace, shut down their books, and come back to start when the calendar flips over next week. Um, you're still going to have um, you know, farmer sales pressuring the market. Uh, you'll have some buy programs for end users. They'll be there, and, but you know they tend to even each other out, and that's what gives us the quiet trade. Now, we always hear about at this time of year you can um, – you know, if you do get a news item because of the lighter volume, you can get a bigger price move. Uh, so I think it's important to be prepared for that or to have, you know, maybe a wish order in uh, above the market uh, while you're busy doing other things just in case something goofy would happen that you can take advantage of a short-term rally. But otherwise, uh, we expect the trade to be rather quiet. Exports are going to be broken up uh, because we're having these shorter sessions. We've got holidays in Europe uh, and Canada this week, so that even drains the volume even more. One thing to keep an eye on is where the funds are positioned. We won't look at every year in case there is some um, year-end short covering. Most of that has probably taken place by this point, but there may still be, be and, and it's certainly been my belief that I think that the funds are going to continue to cover short positions uh, in corn and soybeans, 
but they're probably going to do it in such an organized manner over the next couple of weeks that although I believe there'll be a sideways to higher trend, it's not going to be a dramatic price move. So generally look for a pretty quiet trade, especially with the holidays in the middle of the week. It really breaks it up, makes it easier for t- people to take days off. One of the things that's happening in our farm, and I know this is going to be happening all throughout the, the United States and Canada this year, because we had this late harvest, wet harvest, we're concerned about grain storage. And so literally today, I've got guys on our farm pulling loads out, hauling loads to town. We had some stuff sold ahead, but we don't have a tremendous amount sold ahead. Um, You've been in this business for a long time. In a year like this year, where we feel like for many of us, we've got to move that that physical grain here sometime in the next couple months probably, or we're going to be worried about long-term storage. Um, what, What works best? when it comes to marketing? Well, I have been around a long time. I guess one thing I will say that uh, for those that need to move uh, in empty grain bins, uh, this is the best weather we probably had in uh, 40 years to do that this time of year. Uh, so that's the good news. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a concern. Uh, it was a concern, I think it was in 2009, we had uh, similar concerns. Uh, and, you know, if you have to, I mean, the most important thing is quality and you don't want it. You're already, you know, we're not dealing with the best prices in the world. The last thing you want to do is, is, uh, lose product or lose quality over time. So, uh, we've even been talking about for a long time, the ability to sell it and reown it, um, you know, keeping an eye on conditions. Those are, those are things you're going to have to continue to do. But if, you know, when in doubt, um, especially if you happen to get, you know, some kind of basis push, you know, the bin doors are shut. We may see some sales after the first of the year, and that may pressure basis in some areas. But if you get an opportunity and if you're really concerned about it, I think it's better to, to move the product and know that the Board of Trade is there. You know, that's There's plenty of tools on the Board of Trade to reown it. You don't have to buy an option that, and you have to invest a lot of money and you can keep your time frame somewhat short, get you through the next report, you know, to really, you know, if you're going to plan to market it in March anyway or in February anyway, you know, just buy a call option that covers that time frame and you're really not altering your overall plan. Um, you're just, you know, being very careful about, you know, the quality and the potential loss of quality uh, this winter. But that's that's going to be something that's going to be monitored. It's going to be a big deal, uh, certainly all winter. Well, one of the next things is when I turn on the radio or even watch there are a few tv shows that talk about this too about grain marketing in general and it's not a lot of strategy it's more just hey we think the market's going up or we think the market's going down and most of the time you hear just as many bulls as there are bears how how do you sort through that what do you usually advise farmers when they call and they just say hey i'm hearing stuff on both sides how how should i handle this what should i do here going into 2020 uh, yeah, that's that's a big challenge. We get that a lot. Somebody hears something and reads something, they right away call up and say they heard that. You know, there's a lot of noise out there, and it's even more so than what it ever was before. In the past, when I first started in the business, there were a certain amount of newsletters, and that's where you got your information. You know, there were wire services that reported and had uh, some commentary available. For the most part, the source, the amount of information was very limited. Now anyone with a keyboard can put out an opinion on Twitter or put on a blog post or Facebook. So there's a lot of, it's even more cumbersome now than it ever was. I think the important thing is, and it's always been, to find the two or three sources that you are most comfortable with. If you want to continue to read some of that other stuff, um, 
you know, that's fine. That's, you know, consider that casual reading. But as far as pricing and making decisions for your marketing program, cut your sources down to two or three uh, sources and count on them to be the driver of your marketing decisions. If you try to take in too much information, um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be paralysis by analysis. You're not going to make decisions when you need to be making them. The other thing you need to keep in mind, whether you're dealing with professional advisory service or just someone that's uh, tweeting out or has a Facebook blog, Facebook post or blog, people like to be right. So they, it's important to know where they're positioned in the market. You're not always going to know, but some of these public uh, advisory services, you do know where they're going to be positioned. And it, it is human nature to defend your position. So it's, if you are reading a source, I think it's important to know where they're positioned in the marketplace because that will steer uh, their opinion, and they are also trend followers. It's something I've said before. People like to be right. As long as the market's going down, they'll talk more bearish information. The market goes up, they'll talk more bullish information. Um, you know, So be careful, um, but I think it's important. You need information to make decisions, not to formulate opinions. I mean, you're... You know, you can't get. You have to get through that noise in order to make real marketing decisions, and so that's generally what I do. Is I mean, I have I have a lot of information I read, but there's only about two or three that I focus on um, for you know when I talk to uh, customers or talk to uh, people and try to develop a marketing plan to formulate that opinion. It would you would just be driving yourself nuts trying to take in yeah. all that information. Yep, I agree with you there, Scott. Hey, we got a little over a minute. Do you have any specific advice to get getting started with a marketing plan? Where is your focus? Yeah, uh, you know, I'll start where everyone else starts, and uh, that's with knowing your cost of production and, uh, you know, so you can help that you can identify targets in which you need to take action. But I'm also going to add to that that um, that we don't want that to stop you from making decisions, especially if an opportunity presents itself early. I know people aren't comfortable, you know, some people aren't comfortable putting it down in a plan. They don't know what their costs are going to be. They don't know what they're going to produce. Um, it's important to take advantage of these. Op- if we get an opportunity this winter, don't let having, knowing your cost of production be, uh, an, an, you know, deter you from taking advantage of an opportunity. You've been farming long enough. You know, you have a general idea of what it takes for you to make money. So at least take, you know, we focus on 80% of the last three years' production. Take 80% of the last three uh, years' production. It's a very conservative number. You can always add to it. And then focus on the first 35%. When we market, we like in, set up a marketing plan, generally look to market 35% prior to June 1st, 35% during the summer months, and then hold 30% to price post-harvest. You know, those numbers are going to change based on the opportunities as they present themselves. But uh, at least focus on that first 35% now. Even if you don't write a full plan, have them focus on that first 35% so you're ready to take advantage of it and get opportunities here this winter. All right, great insight. If you are looking for help with your grain marketing, you can visit grainphd.com for more information. They also have a phone number available to speak to uh, speak directly to a risk specialist with any questions or if you want help setting up a marketing plan. Again, we've been talking to Scott Harms with Grain PhD. Scott, thanks for the time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, Bill, 
any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about growing higher-yielding soybeans, and we got the show started off talking just about some of the things we feel were really important. One of the things we didn't get to talk about yet, though, was the planter and all the technology that's going into planting crops now, getting them placed well, getting good seed-to-soil contact, uh, and so forth. So we brought Tony Wendler on with us right now with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how you doing? I am doing excellent today. Thank you. So when we think about soybeans, I know a lot of lot of focus goes into the corn planting, but how about the planter with soybeans? We hear all this stuff about, oh, soybeans are pretty forgiving, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Uh, 
you know, one of the biggest things with soybeans is you need to get that seed to soil contact. I've got an old friend that just says, hey, if you can just get the stuff in the dirt and get the dirt around them, uh, that is a lot of it. And we, one of the things, when I developed my closing wheel, I'm conventional till. And I had uh, developed it around practices like that. But uh, I had a lot of my clients teach me this year about no-till and uh, everything from uh, commenting how in the situations this year where they were planting in mud conditions. And I actually went out and did a field after I talked with some of my clients on it and and did one because it just wasn't drying out. But in no-till, they couldn't close their furrows. And uh, with, uh, with our closing wheels... Uh, they were able to get those to get that seed to soil contact. And in my experience, uh, I got those seeds in the ground and they just launched out of the ground. Uh, get them in there, get them to the moisture, get the seed to, to soil contact, and those things take off. I was impressed. And uh, You know, it's something, Tony, that you could even uh, – I know a lot of folks will uh, will grow things out in the house or in the shop just to, to try to learn things. And and you, I know we did these kind of experiments in ag class growing up too where, all right, let's get good seed-to-soil contact and show what a difference that makes. I, I think a lot of folks have seen that on a small scale, but it's almost hard to believe what a difference that can make in the field, but it really does. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You get the – you need to get the seed to the moisture, but you get the seed to the moisture and then collapse that soil around it, uh, and it is impressive what a bean seed will do after that. All right, uh, talk, the, talk uh, about your germinator closing wheel just a little bit. What, is, what does that look like for folks that haven't seen that? Ours is, is 50-grade steel, so it wears. They, they will last a long time. We've got a spike tooth. But the biggest that we like to run the teeth on each side of the furrow, and that makes that dirt inject sideways into the furrow. Additionally, we've got an inner shoulder that uh, is acting as a, a little bit of a press wheel over the seed. When that dirt, dirt injects in, then it's firming down over the seed and uh, collapsing all the air out, giving the seed to soil contact, also acting a little bit as a depth gauge. So it doesn't allow the teeth to over. Um, over sink on the sides and uh, just gives the right firmness. You go back and set, you adjust it. You know, you still got to be the, uh, the person in charge and go back and, and look and dig and, and set the, uh, the downspring pressure on the, uh, the tail part of your planter correctly, but you'll get that good seed to soil contact and uh, it makes a big difference. So. Tony, Tony, where can we find more information? I know uh, we get a lot of questions about what are you doing on your planter? What are some things that make a difference? Where can we find more info about the Germinator Closing Wheel? Uh, go to uh, farmshopmfg.com. Very good. Uh, talking with Tony Wendler here with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, I got a, I've got a quick question. For oh, you, sure. I'm just a, it, it's just if you a can stump Brian, thing. too, Tony, we'd appreciate that. That's fun. Well, hey, here's the, the um, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people doing it and uh, the, uh, the no-till on that. In the case of uh, one individual that uh, came and bought a bunch of wheels from me after he looked what his neighbor had, but uh, he was only planting his furrows one inch deep for soybeans. Uh, is there a logical reason? Uh, yeah, I guess my only thought is that uh, at one inch deep, if you're hitting moisture and you can get dirt around them, they're going to be out of the ground that much quicker. But is there any other reason why you'd plant them at just an inch deep? 
Yeah, so most soybeans are planted one to one and a half inch deep. And I mean, that works out fine. We find that yield is maximized. You know, one of our biggest concerns, especially you mentioned conventional till earlier, that's where we worry most about crusting. And that's part of the reason why a lot of guys want to plant relatively shallow. The, you also mentioned hitting moisture. That's probably the number one reason why sometimes guys will go deeper with their soybeans. Sometimes they'll be two or three inches deep, but it's very possible that you could have more crusting issues then and even potential yield loss because it just takes a lot of energy to push that seed out of the ground. Soybeans quite often we find are not as, I really want to say vigorous as corn. You know, one of the challenges is with corn, the seed stays where it's put and all you're doing is pushing up this tiny little spikelet. That's all that has to get through the ground. With soybeans, you think about it, the entire seed has to find its way through the ground because the seed ends up becoming the cotyledons. So there's a lot more to push through the ground. So it takes more energy to push up and it takes more energy or I'd say there's more potential risk in terms of crusting with soybeans than there is with corn. And then the other big thing is with corn, the roots come out above where the seed is planted. I, I mean, the main roots of the, the plant, not the seminal or the lateral, but the nodal roots, the five, main, the five rings of nodal roots all come out above where the seed is. Whereas soybeans, all the roots, for the most part, are going to be below where the seed is planted. So it's just, they're two totally different plant types and structures. And so that's why, we, like with corn, we're talking all the time, we really want that corn two inches deep, maybe two and a half even, but two is kind kind of the ideal two, two and a quarter, whereas soybeans, I'm, I'm all for one inch deep, maybe inch and a half deep, but we have to get good seed to soil contact. And I know that's one of the big things we're after with these closing wheels. And I, I mean, when we go through planting, we have to have good enough conditions that we can pack that seed, pack that soil around every individual seed, and then things will turn out well. Okay. The, uh, well, in, in terms of that shallow depth, the individual who uh, was doing that, and I was just kind of, I was more taught like inch and a half, inch and three quarter. Yep. Two is too deep. Yep. Uh, get an inch and a half on the ground. Yep. And, uh, you know, shallower than that, conventional, we're going to hit dry dirt. We're going to dry it out. Just it's possible. It. Yep, it's possible. The, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, this individual uh, called me up after his harvest and uh, was so pleased with the results that uh, uh, he uh, actually put a review, uh, a testimonial that's on my website now uh, as to uh, how pleased he was with the results. And he was only planting an inch deep. So it uh, obviously they did what he needed and closed that furrow. Yep. Yeah, but I, uh, I agree with you 100%. We get into Western climates, I'll call it where it's a little bit drier and then you're taking a little more risk when you're at an inch deep as opposed to an inch and a half deep. But a lot of those guys, as you go west, are in no-till or very reduced tillage. So we find there's a little more moisture there to begin with. So quite often we don't have a real big problem, especially, like I say, if you get that good seed to soil contact, then moisture can actually wick its way up through capillary action. It'll move up in the soil and quite often we can get enough moisture there so the seed does indeed germinate and get growing but yes from time to time we've seen some problems with the shallow planting but nevertheless for the most part I think the standard recommendation across the United States I'm not sure I don't think anything is different at all in Canada either but it's pretty much inch to an inch and a half okay 
Well, I'm going to be getting a little more experience with that because uh, the way this fall went, some of the uh, corn stalks never got tilled. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, yep, a lot of them. I'll be doing a little more no-till in the spring. It's kind <laughs> of... Uh, I had a few people saying, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, it looks like I'm doing no-till beans. <laughs> yep, I think that's going to be a pretty popular thing here in 2020. Well, hey, Tony, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it, and best of luck to you coming up here in 2020. Hey, thank you. Uh, you guys, late Merry Christmas, and uh, Happy New Year, too. You bet. Thanks a lot. You, too. Yeah, there are a lot of little details about the planner, and I, I liked uh, one of the things Tony said there, too, is, hey, you, you're you the boss. you you got to get out there and check on that planner, make sure everything's going well, make sure you're adjusted to the right soil conditions that you're going through. And I know a lot of our ground, we've got some pretty variable stuff. Uh, we've got some really heavy stuff, and then we get some sandy spots out there, too, that are pretty light. And if you don't make some changes as you're heading through the field, you're not going to do an even job all the way through. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about raising high-yielding soybeans on today's show. We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. 
AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about higher yielding soybeans on today's program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Happy to have Catherine Wolf with us right now with AgriLiquid. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing? Good, good. When we started talking about higher yielding soybeans, one of the first comments my brother made, and he's absolutely right, is we don't focus enough about fertility on soybeans. Do you find that the case with a lot of the folks you work with? They talk <laughs> about corn a lot so. more, right? Yes. I was going to say a lot of conversations uh, go around corn, but what I think a lot of guys don't realize and they kind of undervalue is on the importance of a good fertility program in soybeans. I don't know about your guys out your way, but I know a lot of guys just kind of view it as a rotational crop. And a lot of guys just assume that like, when you ask about, hey, what did you do for a fertility program for beans, they automatically want to throw out like, oh, well, I fertilized for corn, you know, and then rotate into beans and whatever's carrying over from the corn, that kind of is there for the beans, which not really the best approach to take, but I definitely agree with you. It's definitely undervalued and needs to be a bigger importance in uh, growers. Well, I always make uh, your research staff nervous, and, and for those of you who aren't familiar with AgriLiquid, they have a huge research farm in Michigan, and also they do research just all over the place, all over the world, really. And, and I, I talk to them about some of the things that I hear guys trying on soybeans that makes them nervous that, ah, oh, soybeans are a little sensitive. But, you know, when you think about the, the safety of, of various fertilizers, it's not the same. A gallon of one fertilizer is not the same as the other. What, what do you look for when you're putting together programs for soybeans and how much do you like to put anywhere close to the seed? Okay. So I guess to kind of start before that, before I want to look at an in-season fertility program, I think the first thing that all growers need to start with is a soil test and looking at your base saturation. Um, I know beans love potassium and it's one of those things that we really need to target and make sure our base saturation for potassiums between anywhere between that like three, preferably four to seven, eight range. And so I think it's one of those things that once we kind of look at that soil test, kind of determine what we're lacking in, what we're good in, um, what we need to put on in terms of dry amendments. I think that helps us kind of get a better idea of what we're looking at when we go in season and what we want to put on the seed. So um, with how our fertilizers are formulated and every product's a little bit different, we have a low salt uh, formulated fertilizer. So if guys have the ability to do infurro, I really like to see some guys put some phosphorus, potassium, and some micros down infurro. Um, two by two is just as great of a system as well, just kind of depending on what management tools the grower has and kind of what they're lacking in. You know, with all the, the microbiology that we're putting on anymore, I know we're using a lot of uh, beneficial bacteria and fungi right on our seed. That that two-by-two two or even a strip-till where we're spreading fertility throughout the zone has been really beneficial. We really like that. And once we set the table for that, uh, foliar applications are certainly a possibility, too. We talked to so many growers throughout the year that say, man, I'm just not getting enough potassium available late in the season. What kind of luck are you having with products like Sure K uh, in season? Yeah, so with Sure K and Sense of a Foliar, we're seeing good luck. Um, we like to put Sure K with one of our products called Fertorain. And then um, if guys have tissue tests, which is also a great tool and resource to use throughout the season to kind of gauge what we need to be putting on there. Um, 
spike it with some micros that we're maybe lacking in and those beans will need, we're having good success. I think the hard thing, though, when it comes to foliars is it's all, a lot of it is dependent on Mother Nature and the weather. And sure. um, a lot of that is also dependent on, too, on timing. We want to make sure when we're putting those foliars down that we're getting them on before that reproductive stage um, for that soybean crop. And we also want to ensure that when we're uh, putting it on that, you know, we're putting it on in ideal conditions. So I, I've seen, I feel like some growers have seen better success when we have a little bit more moisture. Um, and I've seen other growers, maybe they don't see those same results consistently year to year when we have drier years. So that's kind of the harder thing with foliars is part of it, I think, really is weather dependent. But just making sure we get that timing of it on and making sure we're putting the right products on and the right micros, the right NPK on during our foliar, I think, is really important. Yep, I totally agree with you. Uh, Catherine Wolf with AgriLiquid, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You bet. You as well. Uh, let's head back to Ohio. We've got Mark with us right now. Uh, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well, and uh, I love talking to you about soybeans, of course. And as we're, we're thinking about high-yielding soybeans today, you've kind of heard a little bit of what we're talking about here with uh, potassium is really focused on there. Also a little bit on the micros. Is fertility a big key on your farm, or there's some other management tools that are helping you be successful? Well, I think that's one of the, uh, the most important parts, the fertility issue, and your last guest uh, mentioned it as well, getting late-season potash into that plant I think is key, and how you do it is, uh, well, there's a lot of different ways to get that done. We've tried dry spreading over top of beans, uh, you know, three to six inches tall. We've gone out with foliars, et cetera, uh, not to replace uh, pre-season fertility, but just to enhance what the plant has and if you can do some fertility tissue testing. That might give you an indication of maybe what you can do if Mother Nature cooperates in season to get it done. Are you pushing planting date in Ohio? Is that something on soybeans that, that you're able to get real aggressive on? It, it is. At times, I I worry that this whole idea of planting beans early, you know, that's great if conditions are right. But if you're just out there to mud beans in, you know, let's say, end of March. Those, it was April, easy to mud uh, anything in in Ohio this year, wasn't well, it? My well, goodness, yes, you guys are wet. Yeah, unless you, unless you were doing double crop beans, and then that made it a little different. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, I've seen guys try to beans really early, and I think they're giving up stand with the idea of trying to get yield. And and I don't know where those lines cross. And of course, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But, you know, I think there's a huge benefit to planting early. I think the idea of, you know, planting all your corn and then switching to beans uh, I think you're leaving a lot on the table yield-wise, but conditions still need to be right. If you're going to maintain the population out there to get the pod set you want, I still think you have to do it right, but do it as early as you can. No, I agree with you on that. I, I like the idea of early. I don't I don't like mudding stuff in either. That just ends up creating a lot of issues down the road. How about population, though? I know uh, when you said you, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of stand there, and it, and it could be for a lot of different reasons, but... Do you, are you one of the guys that's pushing that population on the low end of things, or do you still like to see a pretty healthy pop out there? Well, I, I always get nervous if we get close to 100, even though the research data says that a uniform stand of eighty to 100,000 plants will get you at or near optimum yield. I still like to be out there at 125, 130 if we can, and we're still doing variable rate. Uh, planting populations or soybeans, and I still think that pays a bunch. 
just to get some height and uh, growth out of the plant on some of those weaker, thinner soils uh, to get them to compete better and, and try to back off that population of better soils, maybe the lower ground, where you don't want them to be quite as rank. And I think higher population actually hurts yield there. Yeah, it, it, I, I get concerned when I see guys wanting to get down to eighty to hundred thousand. I'm thinking you don't have any room for error at that point. I think there is a lot of difference, and it's it it is neat as you. Well, we've got some variable soils here, and as you look at that same variety planted through different areas of the field, you you certainly notice that where you're giving up a little height on some varieties as you climb up on some of those lighter hills, and 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 you mentioned it too with the lodging and standability. We got a lot of guys trying to fight disease problems out there that would say the same thing they want they want to make sure everything's standing really well to give themselves the best shot oh absolutely you know there's just so many there's so many little factors in in soybeans you mentioned uh, fertility late and and i know the sunlight last year a lot of a lot of folks were complaining that we just didn't get enough sunlight but you know are you are you really focused on that trying to get sunlight down your plants too well, yeah, so 15-inch rows, I think, are key. Uh, you get tighter than that, I think we start giving up yield for any number of uh, factors out there, environmental factors. But if you can capture as much sunlight as possible, you know, some guys are after a really large leaf on the plant. You know, that is that sunlight collection area. So, you know, if that's something the guys are interested in, I'm, I'm not sure I've seen a big difference between those, but we've played with the idea and try to look at it when we can. It always seems that when we try a test of those things, we always end up with a lot of other variables that you wonder just how valid your test really is. That, so That is the um, tricky thing with but, farming. There's, there's just all of a sudden you, you do all these things right, and then, oh, it just we get a crazy weather event or you get something else that happens out there that just kind of throws everything off. Uh, talking with Mark in Ohio. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show today, and uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. There's a new authority in town. New Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines the best-in-class Group 14 PPO herbicide with the newest Group 15 herbicide for lasting residual control of water hemp, palmer amaranth, kochia, pigweed, and other tough-resistant weeds. This exclusive liquid premix of single application chemistries protects your soybeans from pre-plant to harvest. It also protects your bottom line. Authority Supreme Herbicide qualifies for the agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Rule your soybean fields with more authority than ever before with Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC. More powerful preventative control isn't on the horizon, it's here. Visit your FMC retailer or fmccrop.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. Authority Supreme Herbicide is not registered for sale or use in California. FMC and Authority are trademarks of FMC Corporation or an affiliate. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, 
we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about higher yielding soybeans. And, you know, it's something about raising high yields on your own farm. It's another thing to come to somebody else's farm and raise even higher yields than they're raising. It doesn't seem to bother Matt Miles at all. So we brought him on. Matt Miles Farms, of course, down in Arkansas. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Yeah, you just keep beating Brian in the soybean yield contest here and me as well. And uh, so it makes sense that we should listen to you. If we're going to talk about higher yielding soybeans, we probably should talk to the guy that beats us on our own farm. <laughs> well... I guess we all of us get lucky every now and then. <laughs> well, I know one thing you, you've talked about before, too, is uh, incorporating some of the different fertility aspects you're doing on your farm, like chicken litter and uh, just how you're doing nitrogen applications for 100-plus bushel soybeans and these kinds of things. Where do you start when you're when you're trying to get a farm up to high production, Matt? What's the What are the most important things on your farm? Well, I, I've been listening to, to uh, Catherine and also Mark, and, you know, it's, it's it's almost the same across the United States. But if we're taking a new farm, you know, the, the first thing you got to make sure is that, that you've got proper drainage. Because, you know, you don't think about the fact that if 10% of your field standing in water after a two-inch rain, you know, 10% is – that will affect your, your yields as far as being higher or lower or whatever. Uh, you know, and then automatically you're going to take – you know, soil samples, and we do that in a in a grid on about every acre and a half, and then you know what you can work with from there. You know, there's so many things that that affect soybean yields, but those are a couple of the things that you've got to have right on a new farm. You know, to even begin. You know, our, we have trouble sometimes with lime. You know, or our, uh, uh, you know, get getting enough lime in there, getting our you know pH right. So. We got to start with that because if you don't have that right, then your your other fertility don't work as well. And just a combination of getting all those things together uh, prior to a, a soybean crop, then you kind of know what you got to do, you know, your first baby steps to get in the crop. I know one thing too, Matt, that, that we've talked about before is just trying to push that, that planting window a little bit earlier. And it it's really scary to do that, though, sometimes when the weather turns against you. Have you kind of settled on what a great date to start is for your farm, or is it just going to vary year by year? 
Well, you know, that depends like anything else on the 10, 15 day forecast ahead of you. But we like to try to start the end of March. Uh, and we've had the last two years, I mean, it's taken the soybeans sometimes 21 days to come out of the ground where if you plant them in, you know, very warm temperatures, they'll be out of the ground in five days. So that gets really stressful. Uh, matching the variety with the summer solstice to get the best pod set, you know, you kind of got to watch that. So the earlier you plant might not mean you plant the earliest variety you have in your toolbox where you'll make sure that that bean is uh, reprodu reproducing at the right time with the right sunlight. So it's kind of a tricky situation and, and you'll pull your hair out. Just, you know, you plant those beans thinking you're going to have really good temperatures and then you get a couple nights in the 40s. I mean, we've had them actually frost back. And, uh, you know, I just was getting the planter ready to go back out there and replant them. And seven days later, we had a, you know, a pretty decent stand and ended up with some of our highest yielding soybeans we had year before last that were that were actually frosted on. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I know uh, there there are a lot of times where you're about ready, like you say with soybeans, about ready to give up on them, and it, it just seems like you you always have a shot with soybeans that they're going to come back and and turn into something, especially if you set the table well for them to begin with. We're talking with Matt Miles, uh, farms down in Arkansas, just tremendously high yielding farmer. Uh, he's got a great team around him as well. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yes, sir. Thank you, and y'all have a good New Year. You bet. You as well. Uh, let's head down to Nebraska. We've got Jimmy Frederick with us, another really high-yielding soybean producer. Jimmy, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you, guys. You know, one of the questions we get when your name comes up with a lot of our listeners, they say, man, I can't believe what he's doing with the kind of populations he's planting. And it's not that you're planting a lot of seed. It's that you're going for some lower populations and really trying to push each soybean plant to produce. It's really impressive. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's what I've been trying to do. It's kind of impressive what a architecture of a bean plant can actually turn out to be. Um, really opens a guy's eyes for sure. Um, but it's been working pretty good. You know, I, I see the, the world record wheat grower doing kind of the same thing in a different crop, uh, just going with lower populations, trying to get the most out of each plant. Uh, one of the things I know that you talk a lot about is is getting uh, a great pod set, having sunlight getting down through that plant. And I would imagine having a little lower population allows a little more of that sun to get down to those bottom nodes. Yeah, it does. Uh, it seems like the plant's a lot healthier down there, longer that sun can be down in there. Um, weed issue, that hasn't been an issue for us yet, so uh, I'm still trying to figure out the best population. Each year's different. Um, but, you know, lower population, I did notice this year, walking across there, I did a fairly big trial, 20,000 pop apiece. Um, I went from 20,000 up to 80,000. And I was walking out through there, and I got between the 60 and the 80,000. And I noticed the uh, 80,000 had uh, a lot more caterpillar uh, infestation in it. Um, they were chewing on leaves pretty hard, and the next row right next to it, the 60,000, had none whatsoever or below that. So I thought that was kind of interesting how you could control the insect pressure just by the extra sugar in the plant as far as it, that insect not being able to digest that that high uh, sugar, you know. Yeah. So that was an interesting thing this year. That, that is neat. 
uh, and you know, you think about that, that, that what, what are the differences? And now we've only got one thing Brian talks about sometimes too on corn is, Hey, we've got to feed each one of those plants. Now if we're only feeding 60,000 plants instead of 80,000 plants, what a difference we could potentially make. Right. Yep. Exactly. For sure. And also the genetics on, um, on the plant, a guy really needs to kind of focus on that as you're going towards your lower pops. Um, that, that plays a huge role in things. Um, a guy overlooks that once in a while. Jimmy, have you noticed that you're able to change maturities at all as you get into a little bit lower populations, or has that not made much difference for you? Uh, I haven't really went too far. It's about a 2A to a 3.6 is about the only maturity range I've really tried. I've just tried a lot of different um, treatments and varieties. Yeah, it's it's really neat watching some of the things that you're doing. The yield results have just been very impressive. Of course, we're talking with Jimmy Frederick down in Nebraska right now. Uh, Jimmy, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing your time with us and your information with us today. Happy New Year to you and your family. Hey, you too. Take care, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. You know, Brian, a lot of a lot of things came up uh, today, and and uh, it, it's really impressive what some of these guys are doing and the kind of yields they're cranking out. Uh, when we think about planting a little bit earlier, uh, boy, it sure made a difference in our geography too. And there is, like Mark was pointing out in Ohio, there's a fine line there. You can definitely get too early, uh, but but being a little early is definitely better than being too late. Yeah, I could say that for almost any crop. And here's the thing that I always say about early planting. Look at what the crop insurance date is. I mean, we like to think as agronomists and farmers, we're smart, but nobody has more information than the insurance companies. I mean, it's national in the United States, and they're going to tell you in your area how early you can plant. So in our area, for example, most people will start planting soybeans around May 10th. But you know what the insurance date is? It's April 25th. Well, the guys that are planting that early and around May 1st, guess what? Their yields are a little bit higher. So at least be trying some, and then you have the comfort of knowing, hey, if things go dramatically wrong, you were covered by insurance anyway. You know, the, a lot of the other things, uh, fertility, certainly that's big. You got a soil test and watch what's going on there, just like you do in every other crop. Um uh, another thing that that we were talking about too was was uh, this planting population, and you know while some guys have kind of a fine line, ah, I want to make sure I've got at least a hundred or hundred and ten thousand or hundred twenty thousand final stand. Other guys are pushing on the low end, like Jimmy is, and uh, just trying to take extreme care of each one of those plants that's out there. Uh, it's it's fun to see what works for different farmers and different types of soil and different uh, climates and so forth, but. Definitely one uh, that's a fun trial to do on your farm this year if you're thinking about it. I'm going to try some different things with soybeans. Uh, planting population and planting date are a couple that don't necessarily cost you a whole lot of money to try and look at on your farm and just evaluate from time to time as well. Well, we've got a lot of things uh, to talk about coming up this winter. We've got uh, winter workshops coming up. You can check out agphd.com and, and find out uh, where we're going to be at and what we're going to be talking about. Soybeans will definitely be one of those topics that, that we'll be discussing. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>